Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Second Timothy chapter two. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have had me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust through reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in the suffering, in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled, entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things, one them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Imenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the fate of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made only useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It is good to be here. If this is your first time to church, really good to have you. Really, really good to have you. Um, say my name is Maffey, um, short for Matthew. Anyway, listen guys, I, I want to tell you a little story about a friend that I had whenever I was a, a teenager, kind of from maybe 12 through to 17. So my next door neighbor lived basically 200 yards from me. He was four years younger, nearly five years younger than me, but we were about the same height. And so the reality was, he was the same height as me up until we stopped hanging out. And so his name was Denver. So he, he, was, he was essentially one of my, my best friends outside of school. He was still in primary school and I was in secondary school. Kind of at two different levels, two different stages in life. 
And one of the funny things is I, I, I used to love football, soccer, used to love motocross, climbing trees. These were some of my things, and athletics. And so here's Denver, four, maybe nearly five years younger than me. And, uh, and essentially, I got a chance to teach him to do a whole lot of things. I, I, I taught him how to do a backflip and a trampoline. It took so, so long. It took weeks. And, and I hurt his back, and they had to take two weeks off. And I hurt his lung. And the thing is, he just he tried and tried and tried. But the thing is, whatever I did, he wanted to do. He was a young lad, and he, and he essentially looked up to me, even though we were the same height. He looked up to me. Whenever I ended up setting out fence posts in my mum and dad's front garden, they had a large garden, and so I made a 100-meter track around the garden. And so the idea was that this 100 meters, we'll see how quick we can do it in. And of course, you can never run 100 meters in a circle as fast as you can in a straight line, so our timing was totally off. Anyway, the thing is, as a guy who was four or five years younger than me, he learned how to climb trees a whole lot better than other kids his age. He became a very fast runner. He became a really good footballer. And uh, it's funny, he actually ended up playing at a, at a higher level of football than I did. And so whatever I did, he wanted to try and do, he wanted to emulate. And I'm sitting here as a 15-year-old thinking, my word, a 10, 11-year-old should not be trying this as he climbs to the top of a tree and he can't get down. But the thing is, he, he essentially learned from me and, and I learned from my cousins. We all learn from somebody. Anyway, he had to suffer for something that was temporal. He'd done well in school. He was a, a footballer. He, he, he did better than me when it came to sport, came to run. He, was, he actually emulated me in all these areas. Anyway, today we are going to talk about suffering for something eternal rather than temporal. So we'll catch up from last week. Steve is preaching first or Second Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> and essentially, Steve leaves off at this. Now, Paul urges Timothy that he too, in the midst of a general landslide, must stand his ground. So Christians, disciples in, in, uh, in, in Asia were leaving the faith, essentially walking away. And this is only 30 years after Jesus was here. Maybe 35 years. My word, less than a full generation has passed. Less than a full generation has passed, and there's already a general landslide. People are going off the rails, or they're away off in different theologies, different ideas. The church does not look strong. Paul urges Timothy that he too must stand his ground, resist the prevailing mood. So Paul knew that Timothy's task of keeping the church within the bounds of sound doctrine, while also including or encouraging believers to live lives worthy of the, of the will of God, can often be a thankless and a difficult task. Guys, I want to tell you that living as a follower of Jesus can be often a thankless and a difficult task. You know, Paul wanted Timothy to continue in the rich heritage that had been passed down, not just from Paul, but from his grandmother also. And so they, these are the, the three ideas we're going to look at today. Uh, the task of disciple-making, we'll see in verses 1 and 2, the cost of disciple-making in 3 to 13, and then the testing, the testing of disciple-makers in 14 to 26. Guys, we hear a lot about, uh, about discipleship, and that's great. But today we're going to be looking at disciple-making, the follow-on. Anyway, the task of disciple-making, verse 1, be strong. What does it say? Be strong in what? You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. My word. Unbelievable. From the very outset, be strong in the very thing that other people are stumbling on. 
doesn't matter what others are saying. It doesn't matter what others are feeling. It doesn't matter how weak or how shy you may feel, Timothy. Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. You know, it's not a summons for Timothy to be strong in and of itself. It's not a summons for him to dig his heels in and grit his teeth, but to actually be inwardly strengthened by the means of what? By the means of the grace found in Christ Jesus. And so from the outset, from the outset, guys, resources for ministry are not in and of yourself. I want you to take a deep breath. Resources for ministry are not found in and of yourself, but in Christ's grace and his unmerited favor. And so that it's not only for salvation that we depend on grace, but it's also for service as well. You know, in this transmission of truth, Paul gives four stages. Look at verse two. There's four stages that Paul highlights here. It's kind of like a baton, like a four by, by 100 relay. The faith entrusted to Paul by Christ. That's the first one. Christ gives Paul this, this gospel. Christ teaches Paul. He, he, he sees and he meets Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul's life is absolutely transformed. First stage. And then Paul, in turn, entrusts this deposit to Timothy. So Paul has received this from Christ, and then secondly, he passes it on to Timothy. Somebody that's reliable. Somebody he sees great potential in. And then the third one, what Timothy heard from Paul, he is to entrust to faithful people. Trustworthiness is absolutely key. Reliability and trustworthiness are going to go hand in hand today. And then the final one, such people must be those who are able to teach others also. People of integrity and faithfulness and character. These are four, four key stages. The faith that's been entrusted to Paul by Christ. Paul in turn entrusts his faith to Timothy. Timothy, then what he hears from Paul is to entrust it to other faithful people. Who we hope that these other faithful people are going to then pass it on. Guys, the fact we get to stand here today means that Timothy done his job. Timothy prevailed. He done good. For Paul, Paul was absolutely desperate for the gospel to be passed on to reliable people. You know, Paul wasn't trying to get Timothy to, to carry uh, a partial gospel, to, to only pass on certain bits, the, uh, the, the bits that Timothy would have liked, the easy bits, not at all. The entire gospel, Paul found somebody who's reliable. Paul found a reliable disciple maker, somebody trustworthy to carry the baton. And I wonder, guys, is that you today? Is that you today? Are you a reliable witness of the gospel? Can you carry the gospel reliably into the lives of others, into your workplaces, into your communities? And the truth found here is that faithfulness trumps charisma, that reliability trumps passion. Faithfulness and reliability are absolutely key today. But part of what Paul is referring to here is the establishment of the church establishment of the local church leadership, the establishment of elders and of deacons. And so it is also our heart here at Christ City Church to do the very same. You know, one of the keys that Paul is stressing to Timothy is that reliable leaders are not optional, but absolutely vital if this deposit is going to be carried faithfully and passed on. Do you remember last week, Steve talked about this deposit? Paul was saying to Timothy, guard this deposit, guard the deposit. And I want to say today, yes, Timothy was to guard the deposit, but he was to do so much more than it. It was to preserve it, yes, that's great, but it was also to pass it on. And so there's a twofold thing here. 
In chapter 1, we, we saw that Paul has given Timothy a seriously high bar. My word, I'm, I'm surprised Timothy didn't read chapter 1. He's like, oh, for flip's sake, and close the letter and put it over. Not at all. Paul encourages Timothy to persevere, telling him the gospel is absolutely worth suffering for. And you know, as a disciple of Jesus, Paul has counted the cost already. And they send out to Timothy, Timothy, you do the same. Not just counting the cost to be a disciple, but to count the cost of being a disciple maker. It's absolutely vital. You know, verse 3, Paul goes on. um, What does it say in verse 3? Join with me in suffering. Wow, join with me in suffering. Do you know, I've been to conferences before and and I've been to different leadership events and and 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 is is a key verse for disciple making. You know, in studying this, I read verse 2 and like, yeah, that's great. I've read that a lot. And then straight into verse 3, it says, join with me in suffering. Flip, I didn't hear that too much. Join with me in suffering. Again, Paul gives Timothy the charge to make disciples who make disciples. And the very next thing, he says, share in suffering. And should we really be surprised? Because the master disciple maker was also put to death on the cross, wasn't he? You know, Timothy's own disciple wasn't just writing this uh, from, from a, a cozy living room, from, a, uh, from his comfort. He, Timothy's disciple maker, Paul, is writing this from prison. He would have seen what it is to count the cost. Do you know, what got Paul locked up wasn't for being a Christian, having the golden ticket, saying the sinner's prayer. That, that didn't get Paul locked up. What got Paul locked up was that he rebelled against the establishment because he was seeking to make disciples of Jesus. Mm. Paul was fruitful and multiplying his life. That's what got him locked up. Mm. That is the task of disciple-making. The cost of disciple-making. Guys, in the next three verses, we're going to see three metaphors, three pictures. We're going to see, a, um, we're going to see an athlete. We're going to see a farmer. We're going to see a soldier. And I want to give you seven quick costs. The first one is opposition, verse 3. One of the costs of disciple-making can be opposition, even persecution. You know, enemies of Jesus typically don't bother opposing Christians who keep to themselves. I don't apologize for saying that. Enemies of Jesus typically don't bother opposing Christians who keep to themselves. It's not worth the hassle. Imagine the Christian that keeps to themselves. Nobody knows they're a Christian. Nobody knows that that they've got a faith. Nobody knows that they follow Jesus. And the enemy is, is going to say, well, you know what, he, he's not doing very much for, for the gospel. Nobody even knows that he's a follower of Jesus. In fact, he, he doesn't even bother me. It's not worth the hassle, but when followers of Jesus are fruitful in making disciples, then they become strategic targets for resistance. Guys, I want to tell you, if, if you follow Jesus with all your heart and you're facing resistance, I want to tell you, keep going, that's good. Resistance for the gospel is a real good sign that you're doing well. You know, very few today oppose simply holding to the Christian faith. It's disciple-making that gets you in trouble. Disciple-making in the workplace, disciple-making in the, in the playground and school and, and your environments is what get, will get you in trouble, is taking a stand. So verses 4 to 6 then gives us Three illustrations, a soldier, an athlete, the farmer, and in each of these we can identify various costs. So in opposition, we have attention, the dedicated soldier. 
Attention is another cost of disciple-making. Paul's, Paul's experiences in his time in prison have given him insight, have given him perspective. Guys, soldiers on active service do not expect an easy or a safe time. Hardship, suffering, risk, they're all part and parcel of it. It's a matter of fact. The soldier frees themselves from things that distract the takeaway. And these are good things nonetheless. And so it is for us. So it is for disciple-makers. And you know, often the lure of the accumulation of things, the entanglement of the pleasures in life that actually distract from disciple-making are the key things that cause disciple-makers to fall. So the, the, the second cost is not getting entangled in civilian pursuits, but in keeping our mission. Remember the Great Commission that Jesus has called us to, to go into all the world and make disciples? And make disciples? And so an aspect of that is not just attention on our schedule, but actually our attention in the moment to those around us. The third one, pleasing others. Our aim, guys, is to please the one who enlisted us. The soldier's aim is to please the one that enlisted them. And you know, not, not everyone who walks through the door or who joins a church or somebody who, who considers themselves worthy of our investment are people we should be trying to please. Otherwise, we'll be trying to please the left, right, and center. And what will we do? We'll actually not please anyone. In disciple-making, we must remember our aim is to please Jesus, the chief shepherd. And I tell you this, that's actually going to cost you and it's going to cost me favor with certain persons and we have to say no to involvement in their lives. That's going to, that's going to cost us. It's going to cost us favor with certain people. Why? Because we're sensing the call to invest in a few and, and not everyone. When we sense the call to invest in a few, that will cause us to lose favor with some people. And that's okay. That's a cost that we have to bear. We've seen the soldier, now the athlete. In verse 5, perseverance is absolutely key. We have some athletes in this, in this church. And they'll know this. Disciple-making often feels like a really long lap around the stadium. I've done a couple of marathons before, and so when it comes to the Olympics, I love to watch the marathon. And one of the things I see is like from nearly all of the 26.2 miles, it's all outside and around the streets and, and away. And then for the very last bit, for the last maybe quarter or half a mile, they get into the stadium. The stadium is absolutely full. The noise of the crowd is insane. And the finish line is to their left, and they come in and they take a square right. And like flip sake, they have to do a full lap. You know, disciple making often feels like a really long lap around the stadium. It'll be so much easier to cut across the field. Imagine I came into the stadium and I'm sitting thinking, absolutely not. I've run 26 miles. I deserve to take this shortcut. I go and take a square left and, and go around and go through the thing and finish 10,000th. It would be so much easier for us to recognize people that need investment and simply throw books at them, throw material at them, send them straight to the welcome desk, but not walk with them to the welcome desk. It would be so much easier for us to see people who need investment and need discipled and hold them at arm's length and literally throw the material at them, send them links on Facebook. I've had that done to me, and I'll be honest, I've, I've been guilty of doing the very same thing. Why? Because it's easy. It didn't require my perseverance. And you know, there's no guarantee that, that they're going to they're gonna fall in love with Jesus. 
There's no guarantee that they're going to take this baton and run with it and pass it on. But I want to encourage you, that's not a risk that we should be willing to take. Perseverance is absolutely key. Are you willing to count the cost of an evening a week or give up something for the sake of the gospel? Next one, energy. Another cost that the athlete image calls to mind is energy. The energy involves the disciple. Early morning and late night, intense conversations are demanding. You know, every other Monday morning for this entire year, Steve has met with me to disciple me, to raise me up, to encourage me, to correct, to rebuke, to train in righteousness. The very thing that Paul was doing for Timothy. We meet at half nine every Monday morning. I know Steve could be better places at half nine on Monday morning, but he chooses not to be. Why? Because he counts the cost of disciple making. Early morning and late night intense conversations are demanding. You know, it's easier to avoid them than just to watch TV, to stick on Netflix. And Paul is saying that the rewards for service depends on faithfulness. Depends on faithfulness and reliability. And you know, later in this book, we're going to see that in, in, in chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, Paul actually says to Timothy, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, will award me in that day. Paul can talk about energy because he has, he, he, he has won, run the race. He has won it. He has got the victory. You know, the next one is recognition. Hard-working farmer in verse 6. I don't know if this is a new Christ City Church record, but we have at least four farmers in the congregation today, maybe even more. I don't know if I've had four before, but for those who are here, really good to see you. I'll not name names. Recognition. Perhaps one of the costs that we might count under farmer is recognition. You know, we, load, we know loads of athletes, but... How many famous farmers do we know? I, I reckon if you know more than five famous farmers, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a coffee this week. I doubt it. You know, the first of the harvest goes to the hard-working farmer. He deserves it. His good yield is as much due to his toil as it, as it is his skill. The farmer's toil, the farmer's effort, the work that goes on behind the scenes that nobody ever sees has every bit as much to do with his yield as a skill. Guys, to make disciples at depth means that you pour the very best of your thoughts, your time, your energy into private interactions that you can't leverage, that you can't leverage to make you look good in front of thousands. You know, for the, for the athlete and for the soldier, they can look really good in front of thousands. They can be in the public sphere. They can be in the spotlight. For the farmers, they're not. You'll rarely see a, a, a farmer on Instagram with uh, showing what work they're doing, unless you're in the farming community, then they're clean mad for it. <laughs> but in the sports and in, in, in the athletic world, and even for soldiers, you, you'll, you'll see it on social media. You'll see the effort. You'll see what goes on, what they do. Often for the farmer, a lack of recognition is there. Are you willing to count that cost of not being recognized? Are you willing to count that cost of of, of not having the, the class social media because you're deciding to invest in three or four instead of so many more. Guys, the yield or the harvest is this holiness in the lives of those we invest in and salvation in the lives of others around us. 
The last one here is time. Disciple making, like raising crops, is time consuming. It takes time to plow the field, time to plant, time to water. Actually, it doesn't take any time to water up in the northwest of Ireland. It always <laughs> rains. Time to fertilize and time to harvest. And so it is with disciple making. So it is with disciple making, not just the one conversation, but difficult conversation after difficult conversation, which requires patience. I get to be here today because I've a patient people go before me. Like with crops, we typically don't see the progress all at once. But over the course of months, it's amazing to see what kind of harvest can happen. There's actually a Japanese plant that doesn't grow for months and months and months. Can't remember the name of it, so I won't even try. But it doesn't grow, it's underground, and it's doing absolutely nothing. And then overnight, it sprouts to near five foot tall. It's absolutely insane. Imagine if that's what your disciple making look like. You're investing in the lives of somebody, and you just do not see any fruit. You just don't see it. And then all of a sudden, something changes, they get it. And the fruit is born, it's incredible. It is absolutely worth it. You know, in verse 7, Timothy, if he's going to get what's been said, if Timothy's going to understand the truth of what Paul is saying, then two processes need to take place. Look at verse 7. One is human and one is divine. Timothy, think over or reflect upon this. So you do this, Timothy. You think on it, you reflect on it. And then what will happen? The Lord will grant you understanding. And in doing so, God will grant Timothy the strength of his grace to pass on the baton. You know, in 8, 8 to 13, we see something different. We see that, you know, it could be easy to paint a false picture. It could be really easy to paint a false picture. A picture that'll make a Christian life easier. A watered-down picture. A more accessible Christian life. It's actually got less effort on us. We see the experience of Christ. is raised from the dead. Christ suffered. We see the experience of Paul. Paul actually saying, this is my gospel for which I am suffering. And then we actually get to see our common experience in that. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Paul is saying to Timothy, therefore, endure everything. Timothy, what comes your way, endure it. Timothy, preaching and teaching are not add-ons. We don't just do this for fun. This isn't just an add-on. They're of the most importance. How can people believe in a gospel they've never heard? Embedded in this passage are two key principles that we've looked at. The sound teaching is to be passed on and serving Christ is hard work. Requires total commitment. And that's the message of, of, of these three metaphors. The military, athletic, and agricultural uh, metaphor is hard, hard work. And we have an advantage in the 21st century. We have an advantage here today, guys. We have Bibles, we have material, we have books, we have Bible studies, we have so many resources for discipling and mentoring, that yet these guys had very little, they had snippets. Timothy now has a, has a scroll from Paul. Timothy probably also had the, the Torah, the, the law, it may have had the Psalms, may have had some of the wisdom literature. And so when Timothy reads this, what we see as verse 8 would have been so precious to him, Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. He goes on to say in verses 11 to 13, and Paul quotes a saying that's kind of familiar to what he was writing to the Romans in chapter 6. Essentially, he was saying, identify with Christ, dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Suffer with him. 
If we were to reach those around us with the good news that Jesus saves, there must be a consistent identification with Christ. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy, it's good for you to have deep roots and wide branches. I want you guys to take this today, guys. Deep roots and wide branches. The deeper you go into Christ, the more fruit that's going to be born. The more fruit that's going to be born, the more the people are going to actually have the goodness of that. And so today, can I encourage you and, and, and remind you to remind one another of the truths in the gospel. If you've got a significant other in your life, if you've got good friends, if you have family, whoever you live with, remind one another of the truths of the gospel. Who are the young Timothys in your lives? Maybe you're a young Timothy and you're eager for more. Who can be a Paul to you? Guys, we're so passionate about, at CCC about raising up leaders raising up disciples who will lead, but also do more than that. They'll actually raise up more disciples. You know what? Discipleship is wonderful, and that's one of our values. But discipleship in and of itself, where we just teach people how or what it is to be godly followers of Jesus, will actually not do all that much good. Our discipleship needs to lead into disciple-making. And so disciple-making is a key aspect, a key component of our discipleship. And so the reality is for the hardworking farmer, their efforts may go unnoticed. Guys, if your efforts go unnoticed, then that's actually okay. Investing in those around us with the words in the life of Jesus will reap such a harvest, even if you're not there to see it. The final point, the testing of the disciple maker, 14 to 26. Guys, all the way back in the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to Saul, who later became known as Paul. And then Ananias received a dream from the Lord. And essentially, Ananias was told, right, Ananias, you go here. You're going to meet a guy called Saul. He kills people. He kills Christians. He kills people like you. And the Lord says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You know, Paul wasn't going to simply repent of his sins and get the title of a Christian. But Paul's faith and his sincerity would be proved by the trials he would go through and the cost of radically following Jesus. Paul's trial by fire would end up with him in prison writing these letters to the churches. And here he gives Timothy three more, ex three more metaphors. I'm not going to read them, but you have the good and the bad workman in verses 14 to 19. I'd encourage you guys before bed tonight, Read 2 Timothy 2. Go over this. Try and, and recall some of the things I've been saying. The good and the bad workman. The difference in the good and the bad workman boils down to their handling of the truth. Their use of the gospel. The good deposit. Remember the good deposit Steve was chatting about? Well, this metaphor that Paul gives Timothy between the good and the bad workman. And, and, and Paul actually ends up naming two, two people. Can you imagine Timothy getting this letter and seeing the two guys? Like, oh, gee, Paul absolutely, he called them out. Why did Paul call them out? Paul draws such a contrast between him and Aes and Philetus and Timothy. And Timothy's the approved worker, and, and these other guys aren't. Can you see the slippery slope of the bad worker? Look at the text. Avoid godless chatter. And doing that, it'll, it'll make you more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Wow. They have departed from the truth. You can see the slippery slope. And so some in Asia were teaching a false gospel. And they were saying that the resurrection has already happened. And so in a sense, they're kind of right. 
yes, Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection has happened, but they're going further than that. They're saying, no, there won't be a second resurrection. That first resurrection of Jesus, that, that is it. There is no second coming. There is no bodily, bodily resurrection. So you have these false teachers that are kind of preaching a half gospel. I want to tell you that quite often extreme teaching is worse than heresy. Do you know, as Christians, we can call out heresy. If we know our Bibles, we can see the heresy quite easily. But sometimes extreme teaching that goes simply too far actually slips in under the radar and we don't know that we're listening to it. We don't know that we're believing it until somebody calls it out on us. You know, in this case here, here are some false teachers saying that the resurrection has already happened, leading people astray. And Paul is saying to Timothy, absolutely not. Teach the whole gospel. The gospel that you heard in front of many witnesses, the gospel I told you in front of many witnesses, the whole gospel, that's what you're to pass on. The second one, the clean vessel, verses 20 to 22. Again, Paul contrasts two sets of leaders this time using two vessels, and kind of like one of gold and silver, silver, and then the other one that's wooden. And so Paul isn't saying to stay away from false teachers or stay away from people who preach a false gospel. He's saying to reject their words, reject their error, and reject their evil. Do you see the difference? Paul isn't saying to Timothy, have nothing to do with, with people like this. He's saying have nothing to do with their evil, have nothing to do with their error, and reject their words. It's totally different to put away falsehoods from their minds and hearts. Yet the only way to do this is to be familiar with sound doctrine. John Stott said, no higher honor could be imagined than to be an instrument in the hand of Christ Jesus, to be at his disposal for the furtherance of his purposes, to be available whenever wanted for his service. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be this this, this noble pot, this pot of silver and gold. There is no higher honor than to be an instrument in the hand of Christ Jesus. I want that to wash over some of you. There is no higher honor to be an instrument in the hand of Christ Jesus. There is no higher honor to be an instrument on sound and audiovisual. There is no higher honor to be serving our kids. There is no higher honor to be in the worship team. There is no higher honor to be on the, on the welcome team. There is no higher honor in the setup and the takedown. When you're an instrument in the hand of Christ Jesus, there is no higher honor. The only thing that Paul is saying to Timothy is you need to be faithful and you need to be reliable. You need to pass this on to faithful and reliable people, that they may pass it on to faithful and reliable people. The Lord's servant, finally. Lastly, Paul moves from a vessel to a servant, the servant of God who does not quarrel but is instead kind, the servant of God who is able to teach others and perhaps see them repent. And the test is this. The wrong attitude on our part may hinder people from coming to faith. And it's key that we keep so close to Jesus that he corrects, that he rebukes our attitudes, that we would be that vessel, that instrument, that leads people to faith. Can I invite the worship team to come back up? In closing, looking back over the chapter, we are able to see in our minds a, a picture, a composite portrait 
of the ideal Christian worker in which Paul has been painting with a variety of words and images. We've seen all these metaphors. As good soldiers, law-abiding athletes, hard-working farmers, we must be utterly dedicated to our work. And such is a heavy responsibility to labor and suffer for the gospel. And no wonder the chapter began with an exhortation. As I close, will you look at verse 1? You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, each of us are tasked to be disciple makers, to count the cost of disciple making, and to stand the test of time and trials come our way. To do that, we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the, the, the faithful people that have gone before us. Thank you, Jesus, for... Uh, for Timothy's grandmother, for that faithful woman that carried that good deposit, that passed it on. Thank you, Jesus, for the pause in our lives. Thank you also, Lord, for the Timothys. Jesus, would you birth in us a heart for discipleship and disciple-making? And may we be a, a church that raises up all our disciples. May we be a church that is a church planting church. May we be a sending church. May we be a church that actually follows on the path of disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.